Hey everyone, welcome to episode one of Eight Fishing History. I'm Filippo, here today with Ben and Benna. This episode we're going to talk about spycraft and the American Revolution, with a focus on American intelligence, methods of concealing messages, and Benedict Arnold. So, start us off, Ben. Why did the Americans found the British? So, uh, from the start of the revolution, General George Washington understood that his British adversaries possessed superior numbers and equipment. If he were to have a chance at winning the war, he would need to gather intelligence on them. That's like the the only like leg up he has on, on uh, means of gathering intelligence. So what did he do? Uh, two of Washington's colleagues, uh, William Dewar and John and John Jay, two members of Continental Congress, recommended Nathaniel Sackett, who was experienced in spycraft. Washington wrote to Sackett and offered him fifty dollars a month to spy for pocket, plus another $500 to establish an intelligence network. Sackett would have made over $1,000 a month today in today's money. So so how did that go for Washington and Sackett? Nathaniel Sackett proved not to be a very good spy. In fact, Washington fired him after only six months in office and uh, replaced him with Benjamin Talmadge. He organized the Culper Spy Ring, which carried out countless acts of espionage against the British. It operated in the heart of British-held Long Island for five years, collecting information on troop movements, supplies, fortifications, and battle plans, without losing a single agent. In one instance, the Culper Ring saved French forces from a lethal ambush. It also exposed Benedict Arnold's treacherous connection to John Andre. So... My question is, with all this spying going on, how are people supposed to communicate with each other without all their messages being intercepted? Yeah, so a major aspect of intelligence and spycraft was intercepting communications, and that intercepting communications was a big part of gathering intelligence and figuring out what the enemy was going to do and what they were planning. Um, And during this time period, since the technology wasn't so advanced, most... Uh, communications would be handwritten letters or messages that would be verbally delivered. And using handwritten letters would make it quite easy for the enemy to steal. So, as a result, both American and British created several techniques to conceal their messages. Uh, One such technique used uh, to conceal messages was invisible ink. Created by a mix of ferrous sulfate and water, Invisible ink was used to write between lines of an innocent letter. To reveal the hidden message, the reader would simply hold the paper over a flame to heat it, not to burn it, or treat it with a chemical reagent as such as sodium carbonate to reveal the hidden message. So were there any less complicated methods of communication? Well, yeah, there were a few, such as just you, just hiding the letter. The method mainly used by the British, the letters would be hidden in small places such as holsters and clothing. Um, some letters were rolled up small enough that they could fit inside a quill, which are like the feathers that people would write with. Uh, messages were also hidden in a variety of other ways, ranging from writing them on like textile patterns to having them inside little silver balls. And um, a British lieutenant named Daniel Taylor was carrying a message from Henry Clinton to General um, John Burgoyne at Saratoga, uh, American soldiers discovered the silver ball containing the message, 
and accused him of being a spy, Taylor denied the allegations and eventually swallowed the silver ball to keep it out of American hands. The Americans made him vomit it, though he just swallowed it again, and Taylor was hung on October 16, 1777. So, were there any, like, significant individuals that would either use these methods or, like, other spy methods to um, achieve a goal or anything like that for either side? I mean, yeah. Um, Benedict Arnold, possibly the most famous spy in the Revolutionary War. Obviously, everyone knows the story of him being one of the biggest traitors of the Revolutionary War. And I... I'm just going to go in depth into that. So Benedict Arnold, he's, he grew up in Connecticut, born in January 14th, 1741. He served in the militia during the French and Indian War, where he got a background uh, for the military, and obviously that influenced his role as he joined the military. When he was in the American military, he, was, he wasn't um, that looked up to, but he was a respected general even though he had many enemies inside the American army. He played a big role in capturing Fort Ticonderoga with Ethan Allen, which was, which was one of the major turning points in the war for the Americans. And once again, showing his bravery during a blizzard, Arnold had no choice but to attack Quebec, as many of the soldiers and enlistments inspired on New Year's Day. So he had to go ahead and attack on December 31st, because he knew that he, many of his soldiers would not be there the next day. He failed to capture Quebec and lost a lot of his soldiers, but he was rewarded for his bravery and he was promoted to Brigadier General. Even though he ruined relations with some other officers because of his rash courage and impatience going in and out of it. Afterwards, he was made a Major General in the Army, but his seniority was not restored. This brought up a major a, a pattern that you can see often of him being constantly frustrated with either the Americans or the British because of his selflessness, and I'm going to talk about that later. And he even tried to resign from the army, but George Washington himself had to persuade Arnold to stay in the army. So after this, one of his good examples of his military genius was the Battle of Lake Champlain. So he predicted that the British General Carleton would sail down Lake Champlain. And because of that, Arnold supervised the, the very quick construction of a flotilla to meet Carleton's fleet. And obviously, because he was correct, this helped them win that battle. And even though um, Carleton's fleet drove the army away, the flotilla was not that useful, it delayed Carleton's approach long enough that by the time the British general had reached New York, the battle was near an end and the British had to return to Canada. So one of the consequences, or I mean, I wouldn't say consequence, but Arnold's performance at this battle rescued the United States from potential disaster. He was made a major general in the US Army. So he was frustrated once again as his seniority was not restored and he got five junior officers promoted over him. So the officer that was over him. His name was Horatio Cortez, and they, these two disliked each other immensely. And at a certain point, Cortez even fired him, relieved him of his command. And at the Battle of Bemis Heights, Arnold defied his authority and took command of a group of American soldiers who he led in an assault against the British line. This attack was 
very successful and it threw the, the enemy into disarray. And even though much of the win was due to Arnold's success, Gates took much of the credit for himself and doubtly Arnold. Seems like uh, Arnold's having a bit of a rough time here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what were some other battles he fought for the Americans? So, one of the last battles that he fought for the Americans was the Battle of Saratoga. He was, this again, was a loss, but he fought very bravely, and this is, once again, even though the Americans lost, that any success that they had in that battle was due to him. He had an injury after that, and he was wounded in the same leg that he had been wounded after the Battle of Quebec. And so, because of that, he could not fight as an officer in the army, sir. And he took a role as a military governor where he stayed in Philadelphia with the Loyalist family. He even married a Loyalist named Margaret Shippen. And so now you can start to see a pattern after this, after he got hurt, a pattern of things that could have led him to become a Loyalist. When he became the military governor, the Supreme Executive Council President Joseph Reed in Pennsylvania took a personal dislike to Arnold and in 1779, even attempted to prosecute him on a series of treason charges, ranging from anything such as buying illegal goods to preferring the company of British loyalists. He, Reed was even known to spread rumors without offering proof of his allegations. Another example of him favoring the loyalist side was that Benedict was deeply in debt. After he got out of the war, he had no source of income and he had to pay back many of his loans from before. Peggy's family had much more financial success under the British, and they were even rumored to persuade Benedict, seeing that he was in debt and that her family did better under the Brits. So, what were uh, some other reasons for um, him switching sides? Yeah, there were a ton of other reasons. Um, an author known as Eric D. Lemon, he even describes that he was like he was a sociopath. At a quote that he wrote in his book says, some even some seemed to point him to lacking feeling, but others showed him having too much feeling. He couldn't control his temper. And he consistently points out his selfishness, this egotistical point of Arnold. And even though, after all of this, these were all reasons for him to switch sides. But once he did um, switch sides, he intended to take the command of West Point and after he got his reward, he asked the British for 20,000 pounds for betraying his post. The British even found him disloyal as dishonest as they could never find a traitor to be one of their own, even if he went to the British side. A quote from the author Lehman, who I mentioned once before, stated, Spying was one thing, but his willingness to switch sides in the middle of an armed conflict and fight against the men who had a year earlier been fighting by his side was something that the people of that time, maybe ours, could not seem to understand. But his loyalty lied only to himself, not even the British. And when his British contact, Major John Andre, was captured, he fled his ship, knowing as he was going to be captured, leaving the Major for dead. This tarnished his reputation completely in the British Army, as the British saw him as only a traitor to, to Britain, too, as he left one of his fellow people left to die. He also left his wife Peggy, as he had to escape to New York. But George Washington gave her choice to settle either in New York with Arnold or Philadelphia with the colonists. She chose Philadelphia, but they, the Americans kicked her out there, and she was forced to go to New York. 
After that, they sailed to London, as Benedict Arnold had trouble finding a position as a military general and could not even find a job with the East India Company, as her, the, his response to his application with the East India Company was that was along the lines of a great trader still loved by his enemy, and his hopes for any jobs in London quickly After that, he went to the loyalist seaport of St. John, Canada, while leaving the rest of his family in London, and he started a merchant, merchandising enterprise with a loyalist man. He even had a son who was not Peggy, so he was mentioned again as being selfless and not being able to control his temper while going out and committing adultery in another, in another country. He eventually moved the rest of his family to St. John, but the Arnold's last year in St. John was remembered by a mob that overran the Arnold's household and named him the traitor to uh, his people. So once again, you can see this pattern of him just continuously having his reputation as a, as a traitor. And he never really fully recovered from this. And even after, after this, he came back to London and continued to search for a military post, as he always wanted to get back into, get back into this. Finally, he, he, closer to the end of his life, he went to the East Indies, where he served for the British voluntarily, which led him to 13,000 acres of land in Quebec. After that, his son died in Jamaica for, while fighting for the British, and his health took a turn for the worse around 1801. He died in 18, on June 14, 1801, and the legend even has it that he called for his American uniform and that he states that he wishes to never give it up. So to summarize all of this, Benedict Arnold was really remembered for being a traitor, and neither the British or the Americans liked him. No one really wanted him anywhere. And this spyware and spycraft played a major role in the American Revolution and set the pace for many others in the future. And to conclude, this is episode one of A Pushing. Thank you all for listening.